Listener Production. Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I jealous of my ex? I am so stressed all the time. How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain. This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life. Hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to today's episode. This is episode 250, which is wild to think that it's been 250 episodes. On what planet can someone talk for like 250 hours? I don't know. Obviously, this planet and it's me. And it kind of does make sense because everyone knows I love talking. But here we are. If you could actually see, because we we film this now at Listener, and (laughs) you should see my hands are tucked into my sweater because I've had the most hectic week, hectic week, and my nails are so ratchet. You know how much I love my long nails? And I'm like, clickety-clack, this bitch is back. And I've got all like my long nails with the art on it. No longer. There's like a couple of nails left. They, the ones that are left are like welded onto my nails and they're not lifting at all. The other ones have ripped off halfway through the nail bed that I've got banned. It's like, it's a, it's not a sight for sore eyes. I was going to say it's a sight for sore eyes. Hardly. Anyway, so I've tucked my hands into my sweater and I'm waving my hands around like a child. But anyway, the reason my nails are so ratchet and I've not been able to get them fixed is because I've, the last two weeks has been this mad rush to launch what is finally launched by the time this podcast comes out. It is out and it is two things that I've actually launched, two things back to back, hence my like crazy mental state right now. But it is number one, it's the six week membership course. So this course has so many fucking videos in it. It is a six week course and you work through these modules and it is all around confidence, self-love, knowing what you want, how to actually structure your goals properly, how to put things into place, how to not give up at the halfway mark, how, how to stay on track, how to cut so much dead weight out of your life, how to rewrite, how to talk to yourself, everything is included in this course and it's all through video. So it's videos of me talking to you and there's so many videos, homework sheets. These homework sheets are probably the most extensive homework sheets you've ever seen in your life. So it probably would take you a week or more to get through it, but it's like makes you do the work. There's meditations, there's a fortnightly live in like a closed group that I'll be doing like all year round. It's a six week course, but you've got like year access to my fortnightly lives where I answer all your questions. We talk to each other, the whole thing. Um, And the cool thing about it is that you can buy it in one go or you can split the payments over 12 months, which I love that you can do that. Um, So that's one thing. Then the other thing is my subscription model, which is where you subscribe to like, do you fucking mind Plus, and it's called The Daily Beans, because you get content from me every single day, including those, these two free episodes. So you get these two episodes, but then you get extra, five extra mini episodes a week. So that way you're getting an episode every day. Heck, tick, hectic. Three of them are meditations because I bang on about meditations. So I thought, why not give them to you? And then two of them are mini episodes, kind of like pep talks. Well, not kind of, they are. So it's pretty exciting. And that is cool because when you register with that, it will um, recognize where you listen to your podcast normally and it'll just add the feed there. So you can listen on like Apple, Spotify, all the other apps that you listen to your podcasts. And that's the first tier. And I'll be launching a second tier with like way more shit later down the track. So 
yeah, if you want to become a daily bean or if you want to do my six-week course, which is called Design Your 2.0 Life, then jump on my fucking website, www.dyfmpod.com. If you're not fucking interested, don't come at me with the fact that you've got to pay for shit on my Facebook page and people actually do that. I got blown up because I charged money for my merch once. Lol. Just don't. Just listen to my free episodes and let's all be one big fucking happy family. Anyway... I thought I'd go into a pet hate before I talk about the topic of today's podcast. Mind you, the topic of today's podcast is the science of overthinking and how to overcome it. Someone requested this just like today. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to cover this today. So I sat down and was like brainstorming all these ideas because it's something that I've kind of covered in pieces throughout the last 250 episodes, apparently. And I thought I would structure it all into one episode. But before I cover that, I thought I would go into a pet hate of mine. And the reason I thought about this pet hate is because I'm currently in this state right now. And because I've had so much going on and this stuff to launch and I'm not tech savvy, like I'm, I had a lot of support building this thing, but I'm generally not tech savvy. So it was actually quite difficult for me to put this fucking thing together, the memberships and whatever. So I've been overwhelmed to say the least. And I've had a couple of instances recently and also over the last, you know, since I've launched my podcast where people have seen me be a bit flustered, overwhelmed, a bit stressed. And people have said to me, oh, I'm surprised you're stressed. That's interesting seeing you being overwhelmed. Maybe you should listen to your podcast. Oh, I hate that so much because I'm like, I don't fucking listen to my podcast. I listen to my podcast and I'm not a hypocrite. Never have I ever said on my podcast that I don't get stressed, that I don't get anxious and that I don't get overwhelmed. I've never, ever, ever made those statements. So what my podcast covers obviously is when you feel this way, tools to help you deal with feeling that way. And it pisses me off that people think that just because I run a mindset podcast that I don't experience emotions. I fucking experience emotions. Look at me right now. I'm losing my pl- the plot with waving my sleeves around the studio because I don't want people seeing my nails. So yes, guys, I do get overwhelmed. I do get stressed. But what I like is that I've I have tools and things in like put things into practice that I don't let my overwhelm and my stress bleed into and ruin every other aspect of my day or my life. Whereas in the past, I definitely would do that kind of shit. So leaps and bounds, guys, leaps and bounds. Anyway, let's get straight into, I don't have a brain fact. Sorry. I'm just, yeah, there's a lot, a lot going on. No brain fact today, but there's a kind of brain facts scattered throughout this episode. So I think you will like it. So let's get into the episode topic of today. So we're talking about overthinking, the science of overthinking and how to overcome it. So firstly, let's talk about what it is and what it feels like. So it's this seemingly unavoidable, like when you're in the state of overthinking, it feels like it's unavoidable. I will show you how you can maybe not avoid it, but how you can overcome it. But it's a seemingly unavoidable pattern of thinking where you're going round and round and round in circles and it's really difficult to pull yourself out of it. It's difficult to not think that thought and to change your thoughts. It's very unproductive because you kind of are thinking the same thing around and around and you start catastrophizing these thoughts. So what started off as not a big deal gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You start 
making assumptions around what you're overthinking. We're really good at making assumptions when we don't have the information in front of us instead of just logically intercepting and being like, right, I don't have the answer yet. I'm not going to try and make up the answer. But we do that all the time because we always like to fill in the gaps. The brain loves to fill in the gaps. So that's what we do. Um, And I think the difference between overthinking and people that don't overthink, well, we need to understand that everyone analyzes things and we think back, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, we break things down, we think about how it went. We, like that's normal. So don't think that there are people that just cruise through life without ever thinking about a situation, thinking, oh, I'm embarrassed that I said that or that could have gone differently or like, oh my God, what are they thinking? Are they ever going to text me back? They're never going to text. Like people think that. But when you're an overthinker, it's that chronically. And you're adding, like you're spiraling, you're adding catastrophizing thoughts, you're making things up where you don't have the answer, all of that. So that's what it is. And sometimes it can be so bad that then you're not sleeping, you're not focused. So I'll give you, so the symptoms that go along with overthinking are lower self-esteem, because you're always doubting yourself, you're questioning yourself, you're questioning your abilities, you're questioning what people are thinking of you. Did I say that right? Did I did I do that properly? Was I, you know, so you, you question yourself, so hence the lower self-esteem. Fatigue, you're not sleeping properly, you're struggling to focus, you're struggling to stay on task, you struggle to be proactive with things and creative for many reasons. Uh, You've got physical tension, so tight neck, maybe like tight temples around your head, forehead, back. Um, And you're irritable, you're like annoyed easily because, well, it makes sense because when you've got poor sleep, when you struggle to stay on task, when, you know, you're forgetting things, when you're fatigued, things are going to fucking piss you off a lot more than when those things aren't happening. So why does it happen? What's causing it? Why does it happen? There's a whole bunch of things that could cause it, but it's kind of a cycle that feeds itself is if you're already someone who has anxiety um, and high levels of stress in general, then that's going to feed into overthinking. And then overthinking is going to feed into having anxiety symptoms and high stress symptoms. And it kind of goes round and round in this loop that's forever feeding itself. So um, people who already have lower self-esteem growing up are more susceptible to overthinking because you're always trying to fit in. You're always trying to be accepted. And then you're going to overanalyze absolutely everything, hoping that people will accept what you're doing or accept you. Um, feelings of inadequacy in general are going to bring on overthinking. And some studies have also shown that this, that anxious kinds of personalities, so not necessarily overthinking, but anxious personality types, can be passed down genetically through epigenetics, okay? Uh, I've got a whole brain fact on epigenetics. I should like resurface that one and reshare it. But so it may be, you know, certain character traits and personality traits can get passed down genetically and having an anxious personality type is one of them. Now I'm going to talk about, before I talk about how to tackle it, I want to talk about what is happening in the brain with neurotransmitters and all of that so we can kind of understand why overthinking happens. Because it's all well and good to be like, you overthink because you're fucking stressed. No shit, Sherlock. I know I'm stressed, but why is it happening in the brain? So I'm first going to cover cortisol. 
Because cortisol is like this, it's like the stress hormone and everyone thinks cortisol is really bad. But what's not great is chronic levels of cortisol. Cortisol is absolutely necessary for many things in our day. And so I don't want us to instantly think kind of any neurotransmitter in obscenely high amounts is not ideal. The brain loves homeostasis. It loves like a nice, even balance of shit, including you know, the, the the hormones or the neurochemicals that we label as quote-unquote bad and including the ones that we label as quote-unquote good. And some of them get a bad rap and cortisol is one of them. Cortisol is gr- necessary in the morning to help you wake up and be alert in the morning. Your your highest levels of cortisol when naturally, in a, when in a natural cycle, highest in the morning and you want that. Um, they're really, cortisol is great to help you perform it helps you perform under pressure. It gives you like the oomph you need to perform physically. So there's a lot of great uses for cortisol. And when you have, when you're not chronically stressed, when someone is not chronically stressed and they've got quote unquote regular levels of cortisol, then you've got this kind of low lying level of cortisol. And when you need it, you get a spike of cortisol. You use that cortisol for like, I need to get up on stage. I need to like sprint. I need to, whatever it is, bang, I use it. It's the stress as in like your body is under stress. So you need it. You have to react, bang, you use it. And then bang, it drops once you've, you know, performed and needed to do something. And then you, then it tapers back down below kind of, or back to baseline. That's what happens normally. Then we've got people that are chronically stressed. And when you are chronically stressed, physical stress, emotional stress, then you get what is a constantly higher than what regular people's baseline would be. I mean, how do you, like, what's regular baseline? How long is a piece of string kind of thing? But it's this chronically higher level of cortisone that's kind of being released constantly because you're always in this state of like, oh, do I need to react? Oh, I'm like, oh, no. So these thoughts are actually, and these beliefs and your reaction to things is causing this higher level of cortisol. And then the higher level of cortisol chronically is causing these thoughts. So you're creating this vicious cycle between my thoughts are creating this chemical release. This chemical release is triggering me to feel scared. And this feeling of scared is triggering the thought. Okay. And then the thought, so it's, you're getting this cycle, right? Now, the downside of having like chronic levels of cortisol all the time is that you don't get the spikes of cortisol when you need it. So you'd think, oh, someone who's got higher levels of cortisol should perform really well and should be really good at physical performance. And no. So because it's chronically higher, it's kind of like a skewed, they don't have a skewed kind of um, release cycle of cortisol. So you're not getting the proper release in the morning, like the general population would, or the general non-anxiety, non-stress population would. You, when you need to perform, when you need that oomph, you're not getting that spike. And then it's not dropping below baseline or returning to baseline. It's always sitting higher than that, what should be a baseline. When someone is chronically stressed and when that's happening, so you're not getting the spikes, you're not getting the lows, it's just sitting just higher than what it should be. When that happens, it actually, and what I'm about to say sounds scary, but it's very reversible. So don't freak out. It shrinks a part of your brain, uh, called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is the part of the brain that helps with memory consolidation. Uh, That's one of the main things that it does, memory, memory consolidation. Um, It helps with learning. And so when your memory consolidation and when your learning is hindered or like stifled, that's going to cause a lot of stress, right? Because you're going to be 
more on edge if you're not remembering things, if you're really forgetful, it's causing you more stress throughout the day. People that are highly stressed are highly forgetful. And it's not like forgetful about birthdays and shit like that. While it could be that, but it's like you've left the house. Oh, fuck, I've left that. So you go back and then this, back and forth. You might find that you're just always in a flurry. And that could be because you have this, you know, this disconnect going on. Now, when that is happening, you also have higher activity in the basal ganglia area of your brain, um, the amygdala as well, which is like that fight or flight thing. I've spoken about it heaps. So when this is all happening, so you've got this shrinkage of the hippocampus, or at least it's affecting the hippocampal area. Um, and even if it's not shrinking yet, you're still getting the effects there. That you're also getting um, reduced sleep quality or reduced sleep in general. So we've got our memory that's affected. We're heightened emotions because it's affecting that fear center in the brain or that's or that reactive center in the brain. You're not remembering things properly. So there's this whole issue going on. And to top it off, to top it off. It also makes it harder for brain areas, areas within the brain, to communicate with each other. Good times. Good times. So you've got your prefrontal cortex, which is that part of the brain, which is just behind your forehead bone, whatever you call it. That is your kind of what's known as like the personality center, your reasoning where you can like make it like it's executive function. And that part of the brain is really good at logical thinking and talking you down off the edge. So when you start, you know, catastrophizing, it's going to be areas within the prefrontal cortex that are going to be like, no, no, like, you know, maybe they just didn't see you call or maybe this or maybe like you just start like reasoning a bit. When cortisol levels are chronically high, the communication between the reasoning center of the brain, the prefrontal cortex and um, the emotional centers of the brain are not working properly, to say the least. So then that can help you understand. Understanding what's happening on a chemical and a physical level on the brain, then you're able to understand why overthinking happens, right? There's a disconnect between these two areas for me to easily logically talk myself out of overthinking. So that makes sense. I'm not sleeping that well because of my higher levels of cortisol. And because I'm not sleeping that well and my high, and the levels of cortisol are higher and I'm forgetful, it's causing me to stress more, which then causes more cortisol, which then causes more of a disconnect, which then causes me to not be able to talk myself down off the ledge when I'm catastrophizing. So that makes a lot of sense. And the beauty of it is, is that you can do things to tackle what's going on. There's a lot that can be done. Um, there, okay, so the first thing is when I mentioned to you that it's really difficult to intercept an emotional thought with, with a logic thought, the more stressed you are, it is difficult but not impossible. And what I mean by that, it's not going to happen automatically, likely not going to happen automatically. You're likely, when you're someone who overthinks and catastrophizes, you'll probably have to really sit down, maybe with a workbook, this is where cognitive behaviour therapy is very successful and comes in handy because you're consciously sitting down and you're consciously working through your thought patterns and you're analyzing your thoughts and you're overwriting those thoughts. So with a lot of different kinds of CBT therapies, cognitive behavioral therapies, you'll break apart a thought. So you think about a thought like no one loves me. Okay, right. Let's look at that thought and think, 
is this true? Is this completely true? Do I have evidence to say the opposite of that? Um, and then you start naming examples. Yep, okay, so this person obviously loves me. Yep, I've got a really good relationship with this. Okay, so maybe not nobody loves me. Maybe it's just this one person that doesn't love me. And, and so you start really becoming a lot more logical about how you approach a thought. And then the more often you do it, that initial instinctive reaction of being like, nobody loves me, goes away. And it gets replaced with... This person probably does not like me. Maybe I should just, you know, whatever. Or this person is annoyed at me. It doesn't mean they don't like me. Like you start reasoning so much better and you start intercepting those thoughts a lot easier. So um, that's one of the ways that you do it through cognitive behavior therapy. You, If you find that it's absolutely taking over your life, then go look into cognitive behavior therapy and, you know, go to a clinician, a psychologist and work through it together. But you can also do these exercises at home if you want to try them at home and be, you know, questioning your thoughts. Another thing that is huge, 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 huge is meditation. There are so many studies that show that meditation is one of, if not the best, but definitely one of the best ways to enhance connectivity between your prefrontal cortex and your um, amygdala, like the emotional centers and the logic centers. So the more you meditate, or maybe not the more you meditate, but the quality, the better quality of your meditation, the more connectivity you're getting between those brain regions. And the more connectivity you get between those brain regions, the easier it becomes to automatically intercept your thoughts and not spiral. You have the thought, you intercept it, you think of something logic instead of emotional, and then you move on to another thought, okay? So for some people that are overthinkers, they're like, That's, that could never be me. It could be you, but it takes a little bit of, you know, practice and time, but absolutely you can because the brain can be rewired and remolded. Some people easier than others, granted, that's for sure. But for people where it's difficult, it can still be rewired. It might take you a bit more work, but it is worth it. The next thing that I want to talk about is sleep hygiene. Because already as it is, you're not getting the best sleep because you've got higher levels of cortisol chronically. <clears throat> and when cortisol is higher, it is harder for you to then dip into a nice, you know, deep sleep when you're trying to fall asleep. And if you are highly stressed, when you are asleep, the chances if your brain really resting really well are maybe not as high because you are highly stressed and the quality of sleep does go down because, again, we need that like even kind of release cycle. We're not even. We need a cycle of different neurotransmitters at night, neurochemicals and hormones versus during the day. If you are somebody, and this goes for people that are not even necessarily overthinkers, but if you are somebody that on a regular basis needs to take a Valium, Xanax, a.k.a. a benzo, benzodiazepam, or something similar to sedate yourself at night more than a couple of times a year, then we have something that needs to be addressed. We have an issue that needs to be addressed, okay? Because it's not normal to not sleep properly. And if you're an overthinker and it's really affecting your life, and if your sleep is out of whack, then we've got something to work with here. This is a good thing, okay? Because you're like, okay, that's something that I can work on that will for sure help my overthinking. Sleep hygiene is crucial. So what I mean by sleep hygiene is pay attention to the, to the hour leading up to when you're going to bed. 
<clears throat> ideally you want to be paying attention to your behaviours throughout the whole day, but let's not let's not get idealistic here. Let's talk about the final hour, maybe two hours before you're going to bed. You should not be on your social media. You should not be triggering any. Get off your fucking emails. Um, we're trying to wind down. So anything that's going to trigger some sort of reaction, emotional reaction, emails, social media, that kind of shit, notifications, put your fucking phone on silent, cunts. And if you need to do a, what's it called? Like do not disturb where like the people in your favorites list can contact you or whatever it is. I don't know. Don't know how that works, but something like that. Put it on the, whatever that, whatever it is, little moon, if you've got an iPhone, I don't know. You should not be having notifications. This little diddling, 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 and you're checking your phone. That is so bad for sleep hygiene. Then when you're in bed, do something that's kind of lower light. So maybe listen to a podcast or read a book that's where you've got a backlit light, like a light above your head, not a light that's shining to your face, okay? Because a warm light above your head is not going to negatively affect your sleep. You don't have to, I mean, some people go a red light and that's fine, that's great, but you don't even have to do that. It's it's more these like harsh, bright lights that are in your face. And yes, blue lights are worse than red, but any bright light is going to be stimulating, by the way. Okay, so sleep hygiene. And then also another thing, if you're really trying to work on your sleep hygiene, you're like, it's really normal. Pay attention to the time that you brush your teeth. Don't brush your teeth just before bed because there's, you know, mint in your mouth, these bright lights in the bathroom. I was watching a TED talk about it and about the importance of sleep on the brain. I'm going to have to find that TED talk and somehow share it to you guys because it's brilliant. But he talks about that. He talks about like you walk into the bathroom and it's like so bright and then you expect to just like wind down into a gentle sleep immediately after that. So it's a bit intense. So maybe do it an hour before you go to sleep. And just things that are basically, just think what's going to slow me down? Let's think about it logically. Soft light above the head, a book, a podcast with no lights on is great. doesn't have to be my podcast because mine's intense, but you can listen to anything that's kind of wind you down and calm you down. Listen to some soundscapes and shit like that. It's really nice. Um, so that's a huge one. Then in general, separate to your sleep hygiene, in general, I need you to think about how you're going to limit, um, things that are going to trigger your stress throughout the day. And a huge one is social media and notifications. You need to use it as a tool. Don't let it use you. And what I mean by it use you is these, these things are designed for you to be a slave to them. They're designed that way. And I'm not going to be here, oh, conspiracy theory or like evil because we can use it too and it's a great tool and I use it all the time and I fucking love it and it is a great tool. But you've got to find a way to make sure that it's not consuming you. You consume it when you need to and then you put it away when you need to. Otherwise, it will ruin you. It will fucking ruin your mental health. It will ruin you. Like you just be so stressed. And if you're already an overthinker, this is going to make it worse. And the reason it's going to make it worse is because you're constantly going through this cycle of quick hits of dopamine. And when you get quick hits of dopamine repeatedly, bang, 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 checking, checking, checking all your fucking notifications, what happens? Your dopamine drops significantly below its baseline. So your normal levels of motivation to do other things are going to be lower. And then when you're not motivated to other things, what do you do? You feel flat. You feel shit about yourself. You feel annoyed that you didn't get things done. Then you start ruminating. Then you start overthinking. So it all, it's all, it's a very, what do you call it? Holistic thing that we've got to do. So when it comes to my phone, it's on silent most of the time. I'd say 99% of the time. 
because my phone is with me enough. It's with me more than enough as it is. So the likelihood of me not responding to a text for hours is pretty low unless I'm doing something where I cannot have my phone on me. It's just on me often enough. I don't have any notifications other than phone call and text message. No WhatsApp, no Instagram, no email. I don't get the little bubble with the number. It's all off. And I encourage you all to do the same because I can tell you right now that red little dot is not helping you that little bubble with the number of how many notifications you have, it doesn't help you because you already check your Instagram. You already check those accounts enough. You don't need someone telling you, hey, by the way, you've got one that you need to check now when you were going to check it in three seconds time. Like you don't need that. It's ridiculous. And we think that we need it, but you don't. If you're checking your email every couple of hours or every hour even, that's enough. Okay, so take off the notifications. We are not designed to be pulled in a thousand directions constantly. That is not what the brain is designed to do. So to put ourselves in an environment where that's happening all the time is blatantly a disregard for our own brain and peace of mind and mental health. You need to limit notifications, limit, limit, limit. You don't have to have your phone on silent like I do, but at least just go, okay, text and calls and then everything else, no. Um, you need to, and, and when I say this of like limiting, you know, notifications, also ideally you want to pay attention to your social media use. Like don't, don't go on it the first thing in the morning. This is going to really trigger your stress and trigger like a downward spiral for the rest of the day because you've got these hits of dopamine early in the morning, then bang, it's gone by the time it's 10 a.m. So I, I, unless like I'll, today is different because today is like, well, when I'm recording this, it's like launch day of the course. So I'll, I'll be dead honest and I'll say that for the first hour of the day, I didn't use social media, but straight after that, I was on it because I've got a deadline. So today's an exception. But in general, for the first two hours of the day, I won't be, you know, checking notifications, checking whatever. Um, the most I'll do is like post a sunrise and not check anything. That's literally the most I'll do. So try and limit the the social media use in the morning. And sometimes when like I talk to people, even friends who I see are like highly stressed and highly whatever, I'll say, you need to be on your phone less. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. What else? What else? What else? What else do I need to do? I'm like, you need to be on your phone less. That's, what, that's the, one of the main things that we need to do. And you need to choose your discomfort. Okay. Do you want the discomfort of being on your phone less, especially at nighttime before bed, which actually is not going to be that uncomfortable because you'll find that it's quite blissful very, very soon. But do you want that discomfort or do you want the discomfort of chronic stress and poor sleep and anxiety and overthinking? Pick your poison, right? So one is going to be hard in the short term and brilliant in the long term. And the other is going to be hard now and hard later and hard forever. Okay. It's, you just think it's easy because you're not having to restrain yourself, but it's not easy because you're suffering right now. So it's not easy. You're still uncomfortable. Everything in life is about choosing your discomfort. You have to make a decision. I'm either going to choose discomfort that serves me. It's uncomfortable, but at least it's working for me. Or I'm going to choose discomfort by being a victim to my own situation, which means I'll do nothing now or actions that are hurting me right now and then suffer the repercussions of it later. But being uncomfortable is inevitable. You cannot go through life without discomfort. It's impossible. So if you think, oh, I don't like discomfort, you're currently uncomfortable right now. I can guarantee you that. So 
you are either uncomfortable with your lifestyle, uncomfortable with something about your emotions, your sleep quality, your physical health. There's something that you don't like if you're someone that avoids discomfort. You, I can guarantee you have discomfort in your life. The people that face discomfort head on and say, I'm going to do these things where I'm restricting myself from, you know, always doing behaviors that are ultimately going to be unhealthy for my health or my brain health. Um, they're the ones or the ones that actually push themselves to do things that aren't that fun in the moment, that don't procrastinate. They're the ones that have short-term discomfort, difficult in the short term, easy in the long term. If it's easy now, it's going to be hard later. If it's hard now, it's going to be easy later. That's how you want to look at it. And when it comes to overthinking, the things to put into place that are going to change, not just how you feel in the moment, but they're going to change how your brain is wired, are going to be uncomfortable in the moment. Another thing that helps is getting up early and going outside and getting some sunlight. Huberman Lab, great podcast. He does heaps of stuff about sunlight in the morning and because he works a lot about like the eyes and vision and all of that and how the sunlight really positively influences your circadian rhythm. So when you're waking up and going outside and getting some sunlight, very beneficial to your brain health, very beneficial to get that healthy release of cortisol in the morning that then tapers down later on. So that's a huge one to add in if you feel that way. Don't wake up and then be in, you know, indoors, 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 get out, get out, fresh air. Another one is exercise, kind of like meditation to help increase the connectivity between regions of the brain. Exercise is huge, huge for doing that. You want to get your blood flow pumping. You want to get oxygen and blood to the brain, bang, 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 to the brain, to the brain, to the brain. And this is a good release, a good release of cortisol when you do it, because the things that release cortisol that then drop it below baseline are not things that need to be avoided. So exercise is one of those things. It is going to release cortisol when you exercise because you're performing. It's performance. But then after you finish exercising, it drops below your baseline and it stays below your baseline for a little bit. Saunas are the same. They spike your cortisol because your body's under stress and then bang, lower than baseline. So if you're highly stressed, if you're an overthinker, do physical interventions as well as psychological interventions. You want to be exercising, get your heart rate up. You want to be going into the sauna. Um, You want to be meditating as well, uh, getting up early, going into the sun, less time on your phones. There's so many physical behavioral things we can change before before you even have to, well, I, I would do a multi-pronged approach. I'd do it all at the same time if I was struggling with um, this because it, it's very effective. But even before you're talking about doing cognitive behavioral therapy, which is very effective and I highly recommend you do it, but there's all these physical things you could be doing alongside it that are going to, you know, you're going to reap huge rewards. And then before I go into foods, to be taking. Um, Another one in your life, it sounds really like boring and cliche, but you need to limit the chaos in your life. Okay. So if you find that you are burning out, which a lot of the time, if you are someone that's overthinking, you're probably emotionally already burning out, but this is, you know, where you're, you know, where you're highly stressed, irritable, similar symptoms, burnout symptoms are similar to overthinking symptoms, funnily enough. Um, But you have to be a bit more stingy with your energy when you're feeling that way, when you're burnt out and when you're overthinking and when you're a chronic overthinker, you need to kind of reel it in and go into a bit of like a a rest and digest phase for your brain. And what I mean by that is kind of like aim for a bit of a slower lane for a little bit and start to think like, do I have to go to every single social event? Do I have to hang out with that person that I know, I know makes me stressed every time I see them? Maybe I can limit my interaction with this person this time. Maybe, you know, like just just be a little bit more like maybe I can say no to a couple, just a handful of things this week or this month and that's going to help me. 
you know, you need to also give yourself time to wind down. If you're someone that's on, you know, always on, 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 that may possibly might also be a contributor to these high levels of stress the whole time. Now let's go into some foods that you can take that are really good for your brain. So L-theanine, I've done a whole brain fact on L-theanine, so I won't go into it, but it's a great regular of neuroregulator, L-theanine, it's a great regulator of neurochemicals, um, very high levels in green tea, very high levels in matcha. So I started drinking matcha and I was like, this is foul. And then I started drinking it more and more and I actually quite like it. There are some places that, you know, I do, I do it in a latte, so it tastes quite nice for me. I don't know. I mean, there's some like hardcore people that just do it in water, uh, but it's phenomenal for your brain health. The levels of L-theanine in matcha are really high. It's also in s- certain mushrooms, uh, but not as high in mushrooms as it is in green tea and matcha. It's also in black tea, but again, matcha uh, out of the teas is the highest one. Um, good fats, good oils. It's great for your brain. Um, dark green veggies as well, I would highly recommend, like spinach, which is very high in lutein, um, which is like an antioxidant. It's very um, good antioxidant for the brain. So, yeah, a lot of green, greens, green things, green tea, matcha, spinach. Yeah. Good times. So that's the episode of today, guys. Hopefully you found that beneficial. Hopefully you took at least one intervention, behavioral or emotional or, you know, psychological uh, out of that. And you can put that into practice. If you do one thing, you're going to feel a little bit better. If you do all of the things, you're going to feel a lot better. And consistency is key. The more you do it on a regular basis, the better you're going to get at it and the better you're going to feel. So don't be so hard on yourself if you do three days on and then one day you you fail and, and then two days on and then one day you fail. Because over the span of 100 days, if you've done 50 days, that's still so much better than nothing. So don't be like, oh, I tried and then I stopped. No, just keep going. Who cares if you have like crosses and ticks and crosses and ticks? As long as there's, you know, a whole bunch of ticks there, you're going to start feeling a whole lot better. Like don't be so hard on yourself. Just think, keep keep going, keep just chipping away and trying again and trying again and trying again and you'll definitely be noticing some major changes. You have one unheard message. All right, it's time for a listener question and I just, look, I had to answer this one because the, the the topic of it was wild listener questions. So I was like, love this so much. Let's get straight into it. Hi, darling. I need some advice on a situation with my boyfriend of almost three years. A bit of background is his best friend was previously dating my sister. They have now been broken up for about a year and a half and he has recently got engaged to his ex-girlfriend. There is no bad blood. However, this couple is always having events to which I am not invited. My partner goes along without me which hasn't really bothered me until now. All of the boys' girlfriends are invited and it just now seems I'm being left out. My partner and I did have a break period of three months or so. In this period, he slept with his friend's fiancé's friend at their engagement party and I can't help but think this fiancé is leaving me out and might have an ulterior motive of my partner being with one of her friends. I had a chat to him... I'm guessing your boyfriend, I had a chat to him and opened up about how it made me upset and he is not sure what to do about it as this is an awkward situation. However, I feel like he should want to show me off, etc. especially if everyone else's partners are going and have only been around for the past year or so. 
I feel embarrassed about him having to ask me to go as I feel like it should have been a given to receive an invite. I'm not invited to the wedding, etc. And he is in the groom's party. Send help. Thank you so much. Love the pod. Okay, this is there's so many fucking layers to this thing. It's wild. The first thing I'm going to say is if someone didn't want me somewhere, the last thing I would want to do is to be there. However, does your boyfriend want you there is the question. Does he want you there? Because to be dating for three years with or without the break, you've been together for three years, right? Everyone else you've been saying has been there for less than a year or so. Does he want you there? Because no offense, and I'm not trying to throw your partner under the bus, but either he has no spine whatsoever or he doesn't want you there because, and the reason I say this is there is no way in hell in fucking hell that all my girlfriends would get together for an event and invite all their partners and not invite Tyrone. And if they did that, I'd be like, you guys are cunts. He's either coming or you guys are out of my life. You fucking degenerates. Like what, what is the problem? Do you know what I'm saying? It just doesn't make sense. I would never have my friends exclude, like purposely exclude, or my friends' partners purposely exclude Tyrone on a regular basis when everyone else is hanging out. That is a weird flex. And so for your partner to be okay with that, he either has no spine, sweet angel, but spineless, or he does have an ulterior motive and he also doesn't want you there. I'm sorry, but they're the only possibilities. It's all well and good for this friend's fiance to flex as much as she wants and say who's invited and who's not invited. But your partner can also say, hey, wait a minute. Okay, the wedding, fine. He can't determine who's coming to the wedding. So that dismissed the wedding. But about as far as events, it does not make sense that one partner is always being excluded regularly for no legitimate reason. And if there is a legitimate reason, you need to hear it out. Like, what is the reason and why have they not given it to you? So I would just hit my boyfriend right between the eyes with it and be like, what is the deal? Because these are the two options. And if there's a third option that I haven't seen, enlighten me immediately because how is this possible? And another question, which I guess you can't answer because we're not talking right now, but is it only events that they have? Are you invited to other events with the other group of friends where the other girlfriends are organising it? Like, is, is it just events that they organise, but you're invited to every other event? So just to understand the dynamic, not that you can answer, because that would obviously make it a little bit different. It would mean that it's specifically just this couple that has an issue and not the other couples. But yeah, I honestly would... Um, yeah, that's fucking weird. And if I was in your position, and that was Tyrone and his friends doing that, I would, firstly, I'd never even want to hang out with them. I'd be like, you guys sound like you're in high school, high school, behaving that way. But also I would, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely speak to Tyrone being like you, if you're, if you're actually okay with this, then that says a lot about you as well as your friends. Um, and you kind of need to have a bit of an explanation as to like why he is okay with that. And if he's not okay with that, does he have such a weird dynamic with his friends that he can't talk? Like, what is it with these weird friendship groups where they can't just address an issue? The amount of messages that I get where people can't address an issue with their friends. Are they a friend or are they an acquaintance that you just socialize with? Because a friend, like a friend uh, should actually be able to be like, what's going on? Like, if we're actually friends, is it not weird that you don't want to meet my partner when there's no proper reason 
for you not to meet her. Like if you were some absolute psychopath and you had caused a scene in the past, it makes sense that you're not invited. But that doesn't seem to be the case based on what you've told me. It doesn't seem like there's no there's no history here. So, no. Nah. Something's weird. Something's weird. Spineless or dodgy. That's what we should call this. This. <laughs> That's what we should call this um, whole episode. Nah, just this fucking listener question. Spineless or dodgy. So just approach him and say, and have two cards and slide them across the table to your partner. And one says spineless, one says dodgy. You say pick one because you're one of them, mate. Nah, maybe address it properly. Don't do that. I would never suggest you approach a conversation with your partner like that. But in all seriousness... It's literally one of those two options. And the third option is you need to give me a full-on detailed explanation, which answers why it's not one of those two. Hopefully that helped, but I'd be pissed as well. Um, Cool. Beans, thank you everyone for listening to the podcast today and for putting up with my slightly chaotic energy. But also... Go check out www.dyfmpod.com. We've got the subscription membership for the five extra mini episodes per week. And we've also got the intensive Design Your 2.0 Life six-week course, which is going to be a game changer for your life. Guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, please remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care. 